Okay, we've entitled this morning's message, as you can see, The Good Shepherd and His Flock. I wanted to read all 21 verses. We will not cover that. You didn't expect that anyway. But we will not cover all of that. But it is important that you see this together because it is really a unit and must be understood as a unit. As we come into the scriptures, we find that the scriptures refer to the Lord Jesus Christ in many ways and with many titles. I've just jotted down a few, and I know you could add many, many more to this. For example, we find that he is referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. He is referred to, even as he leaves the earthly scene, as the king of the Jews, as was put up over his head on the cross. He is referred to early in the scriptures as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the sin of the world. He is referred to throughout scripture as a servant, even by himself, as he said he came to serve. He is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, or the first and the last. He has many other titles, such as prophets, as priest and king. And I, I want you to just rehearse these things in your mind. That's who our Savior is, all of these things. We have seen in John's Gospel already that he's referred to as the bread of life. He is referred to as the light of the world. And as we could go on, and some of these titles refer to his deity. Some of the titles refer to that which he has done for us. Some of the titles refer to just how we will worship him, and he is to be worshipped. In my personal opinion, probably the most tender of all that we find in Scripture is that of a shepherd, as we refer to the Lord Jesus Christ and see it. You've just read a very familiar psalm to you that many even who do not know the Lord refer to that psalm and refer to the fact that the Lord is my personal shepherd. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11, tremendous passage which deals with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was to come as the shepherd of Israel. I would like you to turn to just a couple of verses. Go with me to the book of Micah, one of the minor prophets. And I want you to go to this one for a reason. Micah chapter 5. And if you can find the book of Jonah, you can find Micah. Micah chapter 5. In Micah chapter 5, many are familiar with verse 2, where this passage was used to find out where the Messiah would come from, and that is from Bethlehem in verse 2, the one who would go forth to be ruler in Israel. And we come down to verse 4 in that passage, and it says this, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. So even there where they, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 now, Matthew chapter 2. Even in this passage that was sought out when they wanted to know where it was that this Messiah would come, and they knew where to go in that same text in the context of Matthew chapter 2, 
where they go to research where he would be born for the king, that is Herod. In that text where they find Bethlehem, that is coming from the context of a passage that referred to him as a shepherd. And in Matthew chapter 2 and in verse 6, it is quoted, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler. And then it refers to what we just read. Who will shepherd my people Israel? It is a very tender and very compassionate and very uh, moving situation when it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as a shepherd. Let me remind you of a couple of other passages that I won't turn to with you right now, but you're very familiar with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he bore our sins on the cross, that most are familiar with that passage, but it goes on to say, he has returned us to the shepherd and the guardian of what? Our soul. The shepherd and guardian of our souls. What a picture of our Savior. He's our shepherd. He's the guardian of our souls. And then in chapter 5 of the same book, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to, does anybody know what he's referred to there in verse 4? The chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. And in that passage, he talks to the elders of the church and refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. So it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that he does. But as we consider the picture, let us remember just a couple of things in setting the tone, even in understanding our passage, that when you think of a shepherd and sheep, sheep are dumb. Yes, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, I will speak for myself. I am dumb. And that's what we are. We wander. We wander away from the things of God. We wander away from God. We wander away from the things that God would have us to do. Literally, and very few of us think of it this way, we are helpless. Nobody wants to talk of themselves that way. We think of ourselves as I can handle things. I can do things and so forth. But sheep are pretty dumb animals and they are really helpless. And a shepherd is one who is loving. He is one who cares. He is one who protects. He is one who leads. In our context of John chapter 10, this is the contact text that is known as that of the Good Shepherd. In fact, most of your Bibles probably give it that particular title. And it all goes together, verses 1 through 21. It is also where we find the uh, next statement that is referring to, or the next two actually, the I am statement. We have seen that the Lord is referred to himself as I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And we come to the next two, number three and four in this text. That is that Christ is the door. And that's the one we'll end up dealing with today. And then also that he is the good shepherd in this passage. Now, in order to understand chapter 10 in its context, and I personally think it's very important. That's why I'm taking the time. So often we don't look in the context of what is going on. If we really want to understand chapter 10, I personally believe we need to understand what it relates to. What are you talking about, Pastor Dan? It is related to chapter 9. Now, we have just expounded chapter 9 to you. 
I don't know about you, but I've found, uh, as I've listened to messages on chapter 10, I've never heard it referred back to chapter 9 personally. But you won't understand chapter 10 properly in its context unless you understand the relationship to chapter 9. Why do you say that? Go look at chapter 10, verse 21. Well, I read the whole thing. In verse 21, it says, Others were saying, who were the others? People that were standing there that just heard about the good shepherd. That just heard about what? The door. That turned out the whole concept of shepherding. What else? Who were these people? Look at verse 21. These are not the sayings of a demon-possessed man. Now watch this. A demon cannot, what? Open the eyes of the blind. Can he? Why did I go to that verse? Because the people that are standing there, you need to understand this, in chapter 10 are the same people that were there in chapter 9. And what did we have in chapter 9? We had a situation in chapter 9 where there were the leaders that were there. The man who had received sights has now received spiritual sights from the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 9. The people, the crowd that was listening to the leaders, they were there listening to the exposition in chapter 10 of the Good Shepherd. That's why they're referring to, wait a minute here. Is this the man that you're calling a demon-possessed man? Is the one that just opened the eyes of the blind? And it's in that context. Now, why point that out? For a number of reasons that will help you, I believe, understand chapter 10. Why? Who are the leaders? The leaders are the ones who cast out what? The blind man. They cast him out of the temple. And you're going to see that they get the point of chapter 10. Meaning what? They are the thieves. They are the robbers. They are the strangers. They are the ones who have scattered the sheep in chapter 10. And they saw it. That's why at the end of the passage, they're all upset about what he said. This is coming off of the statement where in chapter 9, if you look back, he just, they just said to him, we are not the blind ones, are we? In verse 40. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is going to go right into chapter 10 and demonstrate that yes, you are the thieves and the robbers. And yes, you are. Who's the one that was cast out in chapter 9? The true sheep. The true sheep. They had just scattered out, if you will, the truly one who came to Christ. The one who was basically not following after another voice. It was the blind man. And the blind man had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And these leaders who were supposedly the shepherds of Israel cast him out of the synagogue. And it's on that passage that chapter 10 comes upon us. Now, yes, it's dealing with Christ, and we will deal with that. But you need to understand that the people, that's why at the end there's a division. And they're saying, he's just talked about the shepherd. The leaders just asked, are they the blind ones? And he said, if you didn't say that you could see, you wouldn't be blind. And now he goes into another parable, as we, can, as we will see in just a moment. And he points out this. Remember this as we go into chapter 10. As you well recognize with Christ being the good shepherd, most of you, and know that Christ is the door, most of you. Why does he say that? 
because they have just, meaning the religious leaders, rejected Christ. They have rejected him. They don't want anything to do with him. And they have said that anyone who says that he's the Christ will be cast out. And when you walk into chapter 10, Jesus Christ is going to point out to the crowd in front of him and to those who have been witnessing the miracle, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. The ones who have come before me are not leading the true sheep of God. And in that context, he walks into what we are so familiar with when he's talking about the good shepherd. So it's coming right on the heels and needs to be seen in that context of the blind man being healed because he's still standing there. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, that's why the division, they're still standing there. And they've just come off of this healing and questioned Christ as to whether or not they were blind. And the blind man has come to put his faith in Christ, who is now a true sheep of the Messiah. And that's why you're going to end up with the division at the end of the context. And I wanted to give you that overview of it because that's what we're walking into when we come into chapter 10. And what we're dealing with in chapter 10 is a parable. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Dan? Because the text tells us it's a parable. You say, I don't see it. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, he says, this figure of speech Jesus spoke to them. What do you mean, figure of speech? John is the only one in the four Gospels that uses this expression. All the other Gospels use the word parable, particularly Matthew. This is the same meaning here. It, John never uses the word parable in his gospel account. He uses the expression figure of speech. And so he tells you that he used the figure of speech to explain to them what was going on with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that to you because you come into chapter 10. Don't misunderstand me. Christ is the one and only good shepherd. We will see that. Christ is the only door to heaven. He is the only door, and that's really not what he's pointing out there, but he is the only door for those who will come to eternal life without question. But he's teaching it in order to convey a lesson, and he uses what they are very familiar with, and that is shepherding for two reasons. One, because of what I just brought you through. Because the Old Testament pointed to the fact that a shepherd, the true shepherd of God, was coming. And secondly, because the people of God, the Israelites, were very familiar with shepherding. So he bridges it from the healing of the blind man being cast out right in to this parable on shepherding. And it is a unit that goes from verse 1 all the way down to 21. Now let me also give you, because I think it will open up the passage to many of you, I hope, some background and history on shepherding. And I am not a person, I am a shepherd, spiritually speaking but not one that goes out and works the fields and so forth. But Israel was very familiar with shepherding. For example, Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the Messiah. Shepherding was very familiar to the nation of Israel. Now, what was involved with the process, and that will hopefully open these verses to us. There were many shepherds in Israel. There were shepherds. In fact, if you go there today, you'll still see shepherds in the field. Those of you that were here last week when I presented the material in Turkey, I showed two particular pictures, different places in Turkey. One was in Smyrna. I remember that one. 
and I can't remember whether the other one, I think it was in Laodicea. But in both of those areas, there were sheep in the field and a shepherd leading them in the field. You might recall, and you'll see it again, I think, in one other area uh, next week. But there were many, many shepherds and many sheep that were involved. But it is not like we, the shepherds and shepherding that goes on in the Middle East was not like the shepherding in the United States of America, by the way, just so you get that clear. Why? Some of you are old enough to remember cowboy movies, and I refer back to that. In the United States, in the Western culture, we do not shepherd sheep. We drive the sheep, in case you didn't know that. They usually, in fact, get dogs, and the dogs drive the sheep to where they want, and basically people sit on posses, H-O-R-S-E. You know, I know I had to do that. But anyway, they drive the, they drive the sheep. That was not the way it was done in Bible days, nor is it done that way in the Middle East, which will help us with our text. They lead the sheep. They don't drive them. They lead them. They take them where they want to go. And the shepherd has a rod and a staff. You know that from Psalm 23. Why? It was used to lead them, to protect them, to fight in their behalf as the predators would come in and so forth. So we would have these tools basically, of the trade. They would bring them out into the fields. And what one couple more important things that I want to give you, at nighttime, very frequently, they would leave their area, and they would go into the fields, and they would go great distances. So at nighttime, what would happen is rather than returning home with the sheep, they would go into this sheepfold. And within the sheepfold, there were many shepherds that would lead their sheep into that. It wouldn't just be, on occasion, they would be one. Just one shepherd and the sheep. But on many occasions, there would be many shepherds that would come, and because they at night did not, or not want to return home with the sheep, they would leave the sheep there in a sheepfold, and they would hire a gatekeeper. And as it's referred to here, basically, uh, in a different word, the doorkeeper. But what he would do is he was hired to watch the sheep at night, and then the shepherds would come back the next day. And what they would do is they would call, and they had their way that they would call their sheep, and the sheep would then follow them, and they'd lead them out into pasturing. So it was not in a one fold, but many. That is the background to this particular, and that's really in a quick summary. And I believe what you have here, just to give it to you, is three divisions. Now, I give it to you a little differently in the bulletin for my purposes of the exposition. But I believe what you've got here is three different scenes. One in the morning, one in the afternoon or midday, and the other one at night. And when you go from verse 1 to verse 21, the Lord simply illustrates it that way to us. The first one is verses 1 through 6. And let's attack the first two this morning. So hopefully that will give you a little bit of background of shepherding and how the Lord uh, spoke about it in the Old Testament in the context with chapter 9 as far as who is listening to this. And who's watching this and observing this? First thing we need to realize, and this is the morning scene here, believe it or not, in verses 1 through 6, is that there are many false shepherds. Verses 1 through 6 again, in the light of what I just said. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter in by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and here's the doorkeeper. To him the doorkeeper opens, 
and the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they will follow, uh, excuse me, will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he was saying to them. Okay, now obviously from verse 6, you see, we're dealing with a parable, as I pointed out to you. And he's explaining, and they didn't catch it as familiar as they were with shepherding. By the way, it was stone walls, and there was only one way in. There was one door, and that's where the doorkeeper was. And in some cases, when it was a single uh, sheep and a single shepherd, the actual shepherd, and many are familiar with that, would sleep near the door. But oftentimes when there were multiple, which is the case here, there would be a doorkeeper, and he would keep it, and they could only get in one way. What he points out is, as we look at this situation, that the sheep had stayed there all night. The hired doorkeeper is there. And the shepherd, after leaving them there for the night, returns. And as he returns, he comes through the doorkeeper, and then he calls his sheep out. So this is in the morning when he's getting ready to take them out to the pasture. But you notice he says that there are thieves and robbers and strangers. This ought not to be new to us. Remember David, who was a shepherd? He said, the Lord will deliver me from Goliath. Why? Because when I shepherded God's sheep, who did he keep the sheep from? Anybody remember? The lions and the bears. Okay? Now, we're not talking about lions and bears here. We're talking about false teachers. We're talking about false shepherds. Not everyone who tends a sheep, and that is true today. I want to get right even into application already. Not everybody who stands in a pulpit and says they're a shepherd or is a pastor is a true shepherd of God. Not everybody who is a religious leader, the ones who were standing there listening to this, were thieves and robbers. They didn't care about the sheep, really, at all. In fact, they were scattering the sheep as opposed to caring for them, as opposed to ministering to them. These people were not appointed by God. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? Would you turn with me to Matthew 23 for comparison in just a second? Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, in verse 2, many are familiar with this passage in Matthew because of the scathing that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to the leaders, the quote-unquote shepherds, the Pharisees and scribes who were supposed to be the shepherds. And he says in verse 2, Two here, he says the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves. God didn't put him there. He seated themselves in the chairs of Moses. And I will read to you a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, which says this Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, <clears throat> but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Not total application there. But the point I want you to see is there are false prophets. There are false teachers. There are false leaders. And I will be specific. I believe in chapter 10 he was dealing with 
false messiahs who said they were shepherds who had come before him because he's going to point out all that have come before him are false. He is the true shepherd. No one else was. But these false teachers, what do they do? Go back to John chapter 10 for a second and look at verse 10 to get ahead of ourselves. The thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and to destroy. He says, I'm come that you might have life. You might have it abundantly. You see, these shepherds, these quote-unquote leaders, these Pharisees and scribes who were directly was applying to, who were the thieves and who were the robbers, were looking out for themselves. And I say that because, again, to go to application, there are many that people are looking up to as clergy, looking up to as pastors, looking up to as big leaders of huge ministries, and they must be men of God. Folks, do not be fooled. Be as the Bereans were. Check things out with the word of God. You should never take for granted because somebody stands in a pulpit that they are a man of God. And if it's a woman standing in a pulpit, I'll tell you they're not a woman of God because they shouldn't be leading. And there is too much today where there are people that are abusing the office of pastoral leadership simply to indeed milk the sheep of their money and to build up world empires and so forth and so on. This is a lot of application. And right in the face of this, here the Pharisees were standing there and they're kicking people out of their synagogues because they don't go along with their rules. And literally throwing out the true sheep because they're not concerned about them. And the Lord Jesus Christ has been rejected by them, comes in their midst, heals a blind man and says, I'm going to tell you something. There is a true shepherd and I'm him. And how do we know that he's the true shepherd? How do we identify false shepherds, first of all? False shepherds do not enter by the door. You can look at the six verses. I gave them to you. I read them to you twice. They don't enter by the door. What do they do? They climb up another way. Why? Because they know in this particular case and in the first part of the parable, they know that the doorkeeper won't let them in. And what is happening in the church of Jesus Christ is the same thing today. There are people who won't go into churches that are teaching the word of God. Or they'll come in and they'll mix themselves. They'll climb over the walls, if you will. They'll come in and try to devour the sheep. That is why you have shepherds. That is why, starting with Pastor Stringer, who was the founder of the church that God used, you have shepherds that will get very angry when people can come in and destroy this work. And the true shepherds and elders have a responsibility to protect the sheep. And while we'll take strong stands against some situations, and you'll look back and say, I don't know why they're doing, or they're so adamant, or why Pastor Dan's getting all worked up this morning over false teachers out there, because I care for you and don't want you to get caught up into a following false doctrine and false prophets and teachers. They climb up, they come over the walls, there's only one right door and they won't go through it. And another way you'll know it is true sheep 
because they are discerning of the voice. Now, whose voice? In this particular case, it's the voice of Jesus Christ, obviously, who's the true shepherd. But I will challenge you with this. The voice should be that which is coming from the Word of God so that you can check things out and know that it's truly rightly divided and rightly fed to you. And you will recognize it. When you see someone climbing over a fence, if you will, or looking basically for your money, or looking to build their empires, and they're not being true to the Word of God, you know that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart and say, something's wrong here. That's because the voice is different. The voice is different. And true sheep will flee. And that's what he's demonstrating here. They don't recognize the true, uh, they recognize the true voice. They don't recognize this other voice. There are scam artists out there today. There are those who are self-seeking, abusers of the word of God, abusers of their ministry, and you and I need to be aware of it. And in case you think I'm being too strong on this, let me, and I'm coming right back to the text, let me give you Isaiah 56, just a couple of verses so you can mark them down. Isaiah 56, verses 10 and 11. Listen to this. Let me do it quick. In verses 10 and 11, it says this. His watchmen are blind. Those were watchmen over Israel. All of them know nothing. All of them are like mute dogs, unable to even bark. Dream is lying down who loves slumber. And the dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, self-interest. Each one to his unjust gain. To the last one, he says. In Jeremiah chapter 23, excuse me, excuse me, boy. In Jeremiah chapter 23, in verses 1 and 2, it says this. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock. You've driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. The Lord was talking to those who were claiming to be shepherds of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, I'm not even going to read it, but you look at the first 10 chapters. It deals with those who are supposed to be shepherding God's flock. What I'm trying to point out to you very strongly is you need to recognize true shepherds. True shepherds are after the interest of the one true shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. True shepherds will give that which is known to the voice of the sheep, and that is the word of God. Now getting back to this passage here, how do we recognize the true shepherd? He enters by the door. You see, they had hired this doorkeeper, and it says that the true one enters by the door. Verse 2, and the shepherd would go back to the door of the sheep. He entrusted them. He didn't have to climb up another wall. He didn't have to try to come in some other way. And the doorkeeper opened to that shepherd. And then what would happen? He calls the sheep, and I want you to notice this. This is encouraging because it's referring to the true shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He knows them all by what? Name. Shepherd needs to know his sheep. And I'll be honest with you, this is a strong charge even to the under-shepherds here in this assembly, starting with myself. We don't know you the way we should. We should know you better. But we need to know every single one. 
and be involved. And you ought to be thankful when sheep are talked to and asked, where you been? What's happening? What's going on in your life? What do they want to know all about me for? There are still that. In every assembly, it's true in here. Sometimes people get insulted that the elders want to know things about them because they want to shepherd and care for them. But he knows them all by name. You notice individual care. And he leads them. He doesn't just send them out. He doesn't drive them. He leads them out, verse 3. And so the picture was in the morning. The shepherd came back. And he calls them out by name. And they recognize his voice. And then he goes before them and he leads them. And notice this. It says he goes on. And it says uh, in verse 4 that he calls them. He goes before them. His sheep follow them because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they flee because they are strangers. And this is a figure of speech. So the first part of the parable, he's dealing with the reality that there are false shepherds. And all who have come before him, all of them who have come before him, are not true shepherds. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be discerning. I will give you this. In 1 John chapter 4, I will not turn there this morning, though I intended to. You can look at it on your own. We are to discern. We are to examine the spirits. We are to examine. You are to test everything that is said from this pulpit. You are to test everyone that you listen to on the radio. And you are to look at shepherds and make sure they're shepherding the way they should. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he says that he is the one shepherd, the true shepherd. And then he comes into this and presents the midday situation to us in verses 7 to 10, and we'll close with this for today. In the morning he came out, he, he led them. But you notice this in verse 6? He says they did not understand what those things were. They knew shepherding. They knew the entrance to the door. But they had not caught the fact that the thieves and the robbers were the ones that were standing in front of them, meaning false teachers, meaning the Pharisees, meaning the Sadducees, and the fact that the one good shepherd really was the Lord Jesus Christ. So he goes into the midday expression, and he's going on actually not fully explaining verses 1 to 6, but because they didn't understand it, verse 7, it says, so Jesus said to them again. He gives them basically a second view of the parable. And what is it? Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. That's why you have the difference. People sometimes get confused. Well, wait a minute. There was a doorkeeper in verse 3, and now he says he's the door in verse 8. It's because in verses 1 to 6, he gave the picture in the morning of where sheep had been kept and how he comes, and there had been a hired doorkeeper. And then he came and he called them out. But now he goes in to concentrate simply on the door itself. And he says, using another illustration of shepherding, because they didn't understand the first part, he says, I am the door. He's using another metaphor. And he says that he is the door of the sheep. Notice verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. What is he referring to? False messiahs. False people who were saying that they were the one that God had sent. And I will go this far right now, not to take away from the context here, but anyone that comes along, the Lord Jesus Christ warns us, there will be many that will come in his name. 
There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the equivalent of John 14, 6, when he says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. The only entrance into the sheep of God, into his fold, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other leader. Muhammad doesn't do it. Buddha doesn't do it. A church does not do it. Religion does not do it. It is the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the door. And all who came before him were robbers and thieves. But the sheep did not listen to him. And notice this. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, there was one door into the ship, sheepfold. Even if there were ten uh, shepherds that had brought from verses 1 to 6, uh, their sheep in there. Still only one door. Now he concentrates on that door. And the thieves and the robbers were the ones that climbed up over the walls. They tried to get in another way. And there is no other way. I'm giving the application right now into heaven. Though he's really not dealing with heaven in the church, he's dealing in one sense really, really with the respect of helping them understand who he is as the Messiah. So if anyone enters through me, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, notice he will be saved. Saved from what? People ask that question. I think 10 answers it. He will go in and out and find pasture. First of all, see, as I said to you, that's the midday scene. Once they come in and out through the door, they can go out into the pasture, and he would lead them during the day, and they could enjoy the pasture. Then they could come back in, and there was the one door, and he would be the entranceway. He was now saying not only was he the shepherd, and he's going to say the good shepherd next, but he says, now I'm the door. I'm the entranceway. And he explains it in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come. Here's what he means by being saved. That you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly or abundantly. You know what the word that I like for this? You're not going to like it. It really means flourishing life. But I like the word fat. That's what it really means. That you might have a fat life. And he's not talking us to physical fatness. Okay? But that's the idea. One is flourishing. What do you mean? The only way you can get life that's eternal. The only way you can get life. The only way you can be part of the sheepfold, if you will, of God. Is by coming through the door. And the Lord Jesus Christ is that door. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that calls his sheep by name. And what happens? They will respond. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ today and are saved, praise God that you've got a shepherd that cares. He knows you by name. He is the one who called you out, not you yourself. He is the one, as we're going to see next week, who is truly the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep, as he will use that explanation next week. But he is the only doorway. And by application, yes. The only doorway to heaven. The only doorway to forgiveness of sins. The only doorway into the sheep of God. There is no other way. And if you've come, you can praise God that he called you out by name. And he's given you life. Abundantly. Flourishing life. The Holy Spirit to indwell. The ability to understand the things of God. The ability to understand the word of God. The ability to walk by the power of God. The ability to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is involved 
in coming through the door, in the shepherd calling you through the door into his sheepfold. And we ought to be rejoicing in that life. Oftentimes we are not. We've been taken from death unto life. We've been given forgiveness of sins. And most of the time we walk around as Christians as though this is where our life is in this world. This flourishing life, this eternal life began at the time of salvation. And you're enjoying it now. And you should be living it to the glory of God as you follow your shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often, we wander away as dumb sheep. That's why he's got to bring us back. He's got to call us back. He's got to use his staff. He's got to get us with that hook. Bring us back in. We get so far drifted away. I don't have the appropriate time to deal with it this morning at length, but I do need to say it because some have used this passage to say that you can lose eternal life as you wander away from the shepherd and so forth. It's not true. Once you've been given life, you have life eternal. And you belong as part of the sheepfold. You will never lose that life. But if you haven't come to Christ yet and you are searching for the answers to life and the satisfaction of your soul inside, let me tell you, it can only come through the shepherd of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we'll see next week as the good shepherd. The only one who is the door, the entranceway into eternal life, the entranceway into the sheepfold of God, the entranceway into forgiveness of sins. Why? I just this past week saw an illustration of the tabernacle Actually, there was a physical thing that I saw that uh, had the dimensions of the tabernacle and looked at it and so forth. And it talked about the sacrifices. The reason why is the Lamb of God sacrificed himself to the God of heaven and earth as a mercy seat. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The only acceptable sacrifice of God, the mediator of the new, the one true living God laid down his life so that we could have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. It only comes through faith, faith alone in Christ alone. It has to come through the door of the person. If you haven't come to Christ, our desire is that you come in to the sheepfold of God, not on your own doing, because you hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ calling you through the door of the Lord Jesus Christ is the way closing Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you, the great shepherd of our souls, who while we were wandering astray, were reminded in Peter, called us back. Father, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, out of your love. He would bear the price and penalty of our sins. Thank you that he's the shepherd that calls. We thank you that he is the door to life. You can be saved and have eternal life. Thank you for the many in this room that you've called. Help us, Father, to realize that you called us to a life of abundance. A life that is to flourish. A life that is to flourish for the glory of God. Help us to love you more. Help us to be discerning. Discerning of people who 
be it on the radio, the TV, who stand in pulpits, who present themselves as shepherds who are not true shepherds, to not be carried away by their doctrine, tossed to and fro. But Father, to be listening to the voice of God, which is only found in the Word of God. And to true shepherds who are trying to care and feed the flock and lead the flock. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to have that discernment. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to draw. We know that you do through the Word of God. That people might hear your voice who have not come to Christ. And they might see that he's the door. Yes, true, the door to heaven. But the door into the sheepfold of God, the only way, the one who is the Savior of the world, the one who can give life, can give forgiveness of sins. While there could be in this audience people who have been trying religion, trying their own self-satisfaction or following even after false teachers. Help them to see the one true Messiah, the one who is the shepherd predicted in the Old Testament and the true shepherd sent by God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Might they come to put their faith in him today. They might have eternal life, the abundance of life. Lord, help us to walk out of here rejoicing, living the abundant life of your glory. We ask this in